So we're going to do, we won't talk about any spoilers and then we'll do a flag and then we'll talk about spoilers after that. That's the plan, right? Yes. I think that sounds good. Okay, cool. I've not even looked at this little guide. Do we have discussion questions? What's going on? Alice has written some bangers. Have I? She's written well, some bangers. Yeah, I'll try to, I'll, I'll just get that note of surprise out of my voice. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Sarah. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Bookcast Club, a podcast for book lovers. Today you have me, Alice, coming at you from London, Sarah, coming at you from the Netherlands. Hello. And Chris, coming at you from Indianapolis. Hello. And today we have a book club episode, which, because Jenny is on maternity leave and as a result has lost her power of veto, sorry Jenny, it is A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara. But first, are we going to do recent reads? Sarah, have you read anything good recently? I just started the new Jim Crow, actually. <laughs> Very cheerful. <laughs> I thought today's the day I'm going to bring a lot of cheerful books to the podcast. Excellent. So this is about sort of mass incarceration in the US and the massive issues with like racial inequality and incarceration. Have you guys heard of this book? I guess it was pretty big. Like It came out about 10 years ago. I've heard of it, but I think mostly through the Netflix documentary, which I want to say is called... 13th. 13th, yes. Yeah, Yeah, so it's been very interesting so far. Very cheerful reading, of course, as you can imagine. Who is the author on that? I always forget her name. Uh, Michelle Alexander. That's right. Yeah, so it's The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. I don't really know very much about the kind of war on drugs um, in the US and how reality mixes with politics and what happened. And so far she's been talking a lot about Ronald Reagan, for example, and how the war on drugs kind of like started and how this is kind of permeated into sort of popular belief and how untrue this was and how um, there's all these kind of stereotypes about who, who, what kind of person uses drugs and who's using what drugs and what are the serious problems and how this is completely unrealistic. I like to flatter myself as some kind of like informed person, whatever. Even as I've started reading this, I've realised that even I thought things that were, even I, you know what I'm saying, that were totally based on stereotypes that I didn't realise were. Like, for example, she said that there's no difference in terms of drug use prevalence between any kind of group be you split people by like wealth, race, class, income, uh, career, anything like that. Actually, drug use rates are really stable. And then she talks about how, uh, yeah, you have like different perceptions of different things and some things are okay and some things aren't when they're all sort of like all the same. So, um, yeah, it's been really interesting. So if you're interested in uh, <laughs> super depressing nonfiction, I recommend it. Very, It's very, very well written, but yeah, a little grim. Does she go into kind of like the types of drug use that gets used amongst like different classes and stuff? Because I do think there are some like differences there. And then I think that, in my experience, because I come from a really impoverished city, it seemed like the kinds of drugs that always got used were extremely addicting and extremely destructive. She talks, for example, about how the differences between like crack cocaine and powder cocaine, crack cocaine being something that's cheaper, you can you take smaller doses of it, um, and so you can sell it in smaller quantities for less money, whereas powder cocaine is a lot more expensive. So this tends to be aimed at people who have like much higher incomes, and crack cocaine is aimed at people who have much lower incomes. But then there's this huge like perception different difference compared like I don't know surgeons using um, powdered cocaine compared to like s- single parents or something using crack cocaine. There's like this whole difference in how these people are portrayed, which is really um, yeah really really interesting. Yeah, I feel like crack was definitely way more prevalent in like the '80s than it is now. Now the big thing, at least in the states, is meth and heroin. Yeah, God. 
Good. <laughs> no, really, really uplifting. It's really setting the tone. What a cheery start to the episode, my I'm goodness. so sorry, you guys. As, as you asked me that question, I was like, oh no, I should have this out. What are you reading, Chris? Well, I am still in the middle of um, A Song for Our Bone by Guy Gabriel Kay, which if you don't know who Guy Gabriel Kay is, he writes fantasy books that are very low on the fantasy side like they contain next to no magic in reality i would really call him more of like an alternative historical fiction writer um so his settings are based on places that really existed and time periods that really existed uh, but he's changed things up so a song for our bone is set in a country that feels very much like medieval france and in our bone women are kind of revered and they rule and the romantic love of women is almost like worshipped and there's this whole like system of troubadours who travel around writing romantic music about high ladies and they have these jugglers who perform for them and it's considered like a real status symbol if you get a troubadour in your castle who writes about your lady wife and you're following the perspective of a man who is a mercenary from a country in the north And that country is extremely patriarchal. And his name is Blaze. And he kind of looks down his nose on all the men of our bone who feel very, like, uh, to him, very, like, emasculated for worshipping women and (laughs) bending to the whims of all these women. And you watch as he gets embroiled in this political conflict between his this duke that he's working for and somebody that he has a long-standing feud with, while at the same time... Blaze's home country from the north is looking to invade our bone. So it's a very like political, historical, epic kind of vibes, right? Um, and I'm enjoying it, but I've had this feeling with Guy Gabriel K with every single book I've read by him, where I can look at it from a distance and be like, oh, this is a smart choice. Oh, that's a really beautiful like um, turn of phrase. But I don't find him very compelling. Like, I read a couple chapters and I put it down and I'm not that interested in picking it back up again. Even though he's chosen viewpoints that are interesting, ideas that are interesting and all this different stuff, he just does not have a compulsive flair to his books for me. At first, I thought that maybe this book was the one that would turn the tide on my Guy Gavriel K reading and I had found one that was really up my alley. But... By the halfway point, I had started having the exact same problems that I've had with nearly every Guy Gabriel K book that I've picked up. So I'm about to just stop reading him, to be honest, because there's always just so much promise that it's going to be amazing, and then it just always lets me down. Are you going to finish this one, then? Yeah, I'm going to finish it, because I, I'm i intrigued enough about the plot. And yeah, the other thing about Guy Gabriel K, and <laughs> I get very tired of the homophobia. Like, I try and remember the, like, okay, just because it's being portrayed isn't, like it being promoted but it's just it's really exhausting it's like really present all the time i'm like i've heard the word catamite more times in this book than i care to count like holy shit anyone the guy doesn't like is just accused of being a catamite i'm done with it (laughs) i don't actually know what this word means no i'm not familiar with it either i think it's quite historical and it was like a young man typically like teenager who was like kept for sexual purposes but it's like the old the old timey homophobic slur 
God, I've never heard of it. Do I need to believe that? Is that a slur? <laughs> uh, maybe if you're a bard from the 1500s, it's a slur. I don't think anyone uses it now. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, again, Sarah, I like to think we're fairly well informed and neither of us were particularly familiar with the term. So, <laughs> If anyone ever called me a catamite, I would just laugh. <laughs> okay. It's interesting what you say, though, Chris, about putting it down and not wanting to pick it back up because there wasn't really that creative flair because I've just read Cult Classic by Sloane Crosley similarly it's got a slight sort of to say it's got a fantasy element I'm not sure is quite right but it's got an element of the mystical perhaps about it and I was really excited when I picked it up at first and I read it on holiday and I had all the time in the world to read I was there lying on a sun lounger and I kept putting it down and wanting to go off and do other things or play with my phone or just not read it, not wanting to pick it back up. And I think it's exactly that. It was just not that flair with it that kept me gripped. But loads of people have loved it. Loads of people have loved it. But it's just one of those ones that just wasn't for me. Oftentimes with books like that, it's like I can feel that it's not doing much wrong. It's just not doing that much right either. You know, like it's just easy to read, but not pulling you through. Absolutely. Those kinds of books, I honestly end up DNFing often because I just kind of dribble to nothing. And then I'm like, oh, I haven't looked at that for like a week, (laughs) you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard when there's nothing like wrong, wrong. And you're like, well, it's me not. It's me, not you, I guess, but... And it's also hard with Guy Gabriel K because, like, everybody that reads fantasy is like, oh, he's the really literary fantasy writer. Like, he's the real deal when it comes to, like, smart books, I guess. And I guess I can see that in comparison to, like, other fantasy writers, but it's just not that great either, <laughs> to be honest. That's totally fair. Yeah totally fair yeah i would be the same like this homophobia thing like i have very low tolerance for that especially in anything fantasy because there's just literally no reason to have it there yeah i i shouldn't even say that i have like that low of tolerance for it it's just that like this is the third guy gabriel k book i've read and i've it's only in his books that i have to hear that word catamite and i'm like why 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 is everyone just getting this thrown at them like it's just very mm-hmm. insidious <laughs> yeah at a certain point i'm just like what is the how much more of this do I got to take? And I think as well, in as you say, Sarah, in fantasy, it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be there. And it, But if it is there, it should be serving some sort of purpose. And it just doesn't sound like it's serving any purpose, Chris. No. The, his book, Tagana, is like the worst when it comes to homophobia. That book like actually sent me over an edge. I was like... And it, it was worse because he was... The, the main character was gay or one of the main characters was gay. And it was, like, the most horrendous representation of it I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, I was like, this is repulsive, and I can't believe it got published. Like, even in the 80s, I can't believe this got published. Mm, yeah. Gross. So I'm kind of over it. Yeah. I also feel that way about authors who have a lot of, like, a lot of fantasy writers. They love to have, like, sexual violence against women in their books. And you're like, okay, great. Fantastic. This is exactly what we want to be reading about. Yeah, great. <laughs> What a great world that you've imagined. Wonderful. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Stretch that imagination. Is that what you're reading, Alice, or do you have something else? No, I have something else, um, which I feel is a little bit rogue in some ways, which I don't remember if I've said before that I 
I really like superhero films and I really like superhero stuff in general, which is, I sometimes just find it very good, like, relief. So I heard about this book called Hench by Natalie Zena Walshots. Um, have either of you guys heard of this? I think I have. It sounds familiar. Never heard of it. Have you seen the TV series The Boys or heard of it on Netflix? I've heard of it, but I've not watched it yet. Okay. So the reason I ask is that I've not seen The Boys, but Rob really loves it and really rates it and has talked about it quite a lot to me. And the world that Hench is set in feels very similar to how he's described The Boys. It's basically, it's set in a world where superheroes and villains are just part of everyday life. They are normal, accepted, everybody knows that they're around, they will pop up kind of at various points. And the main character, Anna, she's working for a temp agency and she basically gets assigned to a villain uh, as a hench, basically, hence the title of the book. And some she's involved in an incident where a superhero gets involved and she is quite badly injured as a result this is all in the blurb so none of this is spoilers her whole life is like turned upside down as a result of this and she starts doing essentially data analysis on what happens when superheroes get involved and what level of damage the superheroes cause as in the supposed good guys and Essentially, the whole book therefore turns into a villain origin story. Uh, and it's all kind of centered around this like data analysis and then also using that to kind of work against the superheroes, as well as kind of the classic intense cars and massive fights and all this kind of stuff. And it's it was really good. I just finished it today and it was so pacey. I started it yesterday in in an airport. I think so, or like first thing in the morning yesterday. I raced through this book. I could barely put it down because it's just really, it really just kept moving. It goes at a really good clip. It's quite light in terms of the writing style. It really, I can't really explain it, but the writing style is not kind of literary or hefty in any sort of way. It's really easy to read. But there's some really interesting themes about kind of what makes somebody good versus evil and there's actually some really interesting stuff around um, disability adjusted life years and all this stuff that's genuine data analysis used around kind of illness and natural disasters and stuff like that. So it's actually really well researched, which I think adds a great deal to it, but all wrapped up in this slightly ridiculous superhero world. And I was a big fan. I was a really big fan. I wasn't sure if I was going to be. And I just thought it was great. Sounds really fun. What what's the author's name again? Natalie Zena Walshots. I've never heard of her. So this is her debut and there is a sequel coming, apparently, which based on how the book ends, I could really see it really lines up for a sequel, but also does kind of end in a fairly decent way that you're not left on like a massive cliffhanger, but it's also not all neatly wrapped up in a bow. Left some good space. Alice, I love that you're reading this. It's, <laughs> I, I never in a, a million years would have like... Because <laughs> often with us, like the four of us, our tastes are so like different. Mm. It's like you hold up a book, which member of the bookhouse club is reading this? <laughs> like I never... <laughs> so I'm glad you're keeping me on my toes. Absolutely. I did say it was a slightly rogue <laughs> choice. 
I am glad you described the plot in more detail because it sounds a bit more interesting. When you first said superheroes, I was instantly like, no, because I, I really don't like superhero films. But that actually sounds more interesting than I was expecting. It is. And actually, I think the superhero stuff adds a really interesting, slightly fantastical element to it. But actually, if you took away the superheroes and you turned them into people on, I guess, maybe different political parties or different sides of an issue it would have very much the same heft to it and the same themes would come out and I think that's one of the things that comes across really well is that if you said this is left wing versus right wing versus superhero versus supervillain you'd still have a lot of very similar things happening and it's quite interesting when you start to reflect on it that way I think. Mm, Cool. Yeah, I yeah I haven't seen any superhero films since uh, since Tobey Maguire was Spider Man. No, <laughs> that was the last time you saw a superhero film. That's crazy. Yeah. I think it was approximately twenty years ago. I'm a little behind. That's hilarious. I really only watch Batman. Ah, oh. that is like the one superhero film I love. Yeah, during COVID, we watched all of the Avengers films in order. Oh so I'm now oh, a full on Avengers nerd. Last night when we got back, we were like, should we watch Thor, Love and Thunder? Which, by the way, is hilarious. Proper, like, so silly superhero film. Yeah, that's why That's why I don't like superhero films. I'm like, a, I think I'm a lighthearted, fun guy in real life. But like when it comes to movies, if there's humor in it, I'm like, I'm angry and I'm not having a good time (laughs) like I am like the biggest sourpuss when it comes to movies so that's why I like Batman because it's all dark and grim I'm like I can take this oh no you would not like Thor Love and Thunder then you really (laughs) wouldn't it's there's a lot of Guns and Roses in it which is very bizarre there's some screaming goats I wasn't a big fan of the screaming goats I won't lie (laughs) but it's it's the most ridiculous film and yeah it's it's good fun though. There's there's some there's an element of Russell Crowe like channeling Robin Williams in a very bizarre kind of <laughs> way. Honestly, it's I thought it was great, but uh, probably not your thing, Chris. How have you managed, Sarah, to avoid superhero pop culture for twenty years? <laughs> like, what what is your su- uh, Do you have a superpower, like some superhero repulsion? Yeah, uh, my superpower is I have an unbelievable ability to live in ignorance of popular culture. <laughs> as a useful one. This is where we take a little break to tell you about all the different ways that you can support the podcast, some of which are totally free. A really effective and easy way of showing your support is by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. There is a link in the show notes that will take you straight to the Apple podcast page where you can write a review. And if you listen on Spotify, you can now very easily give us a star rating. You can also share our posts on social media. We're at Bookcast Club on both Instagram and Twitter. You can sign up to our free monthly newsletter where we share even more book recommendations and all the latest podcast news. But the best way for us to find new listeners is by you telling your book-loving friends and family about us. If you want to support the podcast financially, we do have a Patreon account. You can sign up for as little as £2 a month. We offer early access to the podcast, monthly bonus episodes, and our top tier will get you all of the above and personalized book recommendations. We get you to fill in a survey, and then we tailor our book recommendations to your preferences. We will also send you books in the post. There are over 15 bonus episodes you can get instant access to if you sign up as a patron today. The link is in our show notes. But however you choose to support... 
We, as always, want to say a huge thank you. We appreciate each and every one of our listeners. And while we're talking about ways that you can support us, we also want to let you know that we are planning a Q&A episode. So if you have any questions for Alice, Jen, Sarah, or I, go ahead and ask us over on Twitter, Instagram, or you can email us. We really look forward to hearing from you guys. And now it's time to talk about our book club book, the very controversial A Little Life by Hanya Yanagahara, which folks focuses on four college friends through the years as they live out their lives in New York City. Those friends, of course, being Willem, Malcolm, JB, and the tragic Jude. The book focuses mainly on Jude, who has a tragic backstory that's somewhat hidden when the book opens, but as we learn more and more about him, we find out that he has an extremely abusive past that haunts him throughout the rest of his life. And the book is an epic tragedy, looking at all the different ways that this abuse affects the friend group and any relationships that Jude tries to build over the years. So, yeah, I would love to know what everybody thinks of this book. I I should note, this is one of my favorite books of all time, but I haven't read it in like six years. Uh, But I have very, very strong feelings about how much I love this book. So I'd love to hear what people think of it because it is a book that I think is inherently divisive yeah when I was jotting down the questions for this I wrote do you agree with Jenny's perspective that this is just misery which yeah is a is one of the very common perspectives on this book uh I however am firmly in the Chris camp of I love this book maybe not necessarily because of the misery I think that's too strong but because of some of the themes that misery brings up and i just think it's a phenomenal piece of work mm-hmm. it's one of your favorites as well right Alice? it is yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i just read it for the first time for this and it's one of those books i've been meaning to read for years i really liked it yay sarah yay it's pretty hectic i knew that it would be a lot going in and it was much more a lot than I thought it would be which says a lot for me mm. as someone who just sort of revels in misery really this was um this was hectic I want to read if you don't if you guys don't mind one of our patreons who is a friend of mine um it's one of her favorite books as well and she sent me a little thing about why she loves this book so much so I thought maybe I could read that oh I love that I mean, I'd love to hear it yeah she said a little life is my favorite book it was from the moment I started reading it and I immediately knew it would not be the first, the only time that I read it but I still find it very hard to explain what I like so much about it in other words I find it hard to justify why I enjoy such a sad and brutal book but I feel a little life is so much more than just sadness and trauma it's about friendship it has these complex and delicate relationships that felt so real while reading, I had the feeling that I was part of the lives of J.D., Willem, Malcolm, and Jude. And then she, after a while, she said, I don't think it really does my feelings justice, but that's uh, how I feel. No, I agree with everything there. I yeah. really do. You feel completely a part of their lives. And I, it's a book that I think is so... It's, it's almost a tragedy for me now that the book has become so big and so well-known and so controversial because I got into it without knowing anything about it. I had just moved to Indianapolis and I had two bookstores I was living within walking distance of now. And I walked into one of the bookstores and it just said like 10 books to read before you die. They had some setup like that. And one of the books was A Little Life. 
and I just picked it up because I thought the cover looked interesting and I want, and I, I, I was just coming out of being in college. And so suddenly I had all this free time in the evenings and I just wanted to sink my teeth into a really chunky book. And I think because I didn't go into it, knowing that there was all this controversy and knowing it was going to be such a tragic book and all this different stuff, I got to just approach the book on its own merits and on its own terms without all this like meta conversation going on around me. And I just think it's a shame that it's it's almost impossible to do that now. If you're at all familiar with the book world, you just can't do it anymore. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There are a lot of people that really don't like this book. Um, so that was kind of, the, they're kind of the loudest voices, I feel. They, they were the ones that I was like, yeah, the most familiar I with. people really, um, I'm going to say this, <laughs> people really don't find the abuse believable. They don't find it believable that somebody could suffer this much abuse. And as you learn more about Jude's story, which we'll, we're not going to go into specific spoilers in this section yet, but, you know, he suffers years of abuse from multiple different people. Um, you know, it is constant, um. I just think that people who think that maybe have, have led very sheltered lives, um, yeah. you know, because I know a lot of people who have been abused like this, you know, maybe not to this extent, but I, I do know some people who have been abused to this extent, you know, that's not uncommon, you know, people do suffer years of trauma and it's unfortunate that oftentimes people who are victimized once will continue to be re-victimized and be put into situations where they are made to be victims over and over again. And this book is unflinching, you know? Yeah. I agree with you 90%. There was one plot point, which I won't be specific about, but there's yeah one plot point, which is like quite towards the end. And he's sort of yet again in this situation. And I was like, this is, that was what I found a little bit unbelievable. Like, yeah, I will say that that, that point specifically, I've heard other people say, that that point was also the bit that tipped them over into being like, this is not believable. This has gone too far now. But I do also agree with what Chris is saying. Like, I don't know anybody personally who's been, well, as far as I'm aware, who's been through anything close to this, but I can very much believe and very much understand that that is something that happens to people. And as you say, Chris, the repeated victimization is definitely a thing that happens. It's, it's hard to almost absorb that though. I think if you've not been exposed to that, or you've not made yourself aware that that is something that happens, if that makes sense, I think it's very easy for people to try to put a wall up, to say that can't possibly happen in real life that it must all be fake because it's really really hard to read and it's therefore really hard to get your head around that that is actually life for some people and some of these people you see in certain situations or you hear about in the news or you hear a snippet of their life story you go oh yeah but that must be an anomaly it must not happen all the time because it's so hard to wrap your head around and I think books like this do do a lot for raising that profile in some way but also are they actually doing that good a job of it if people are shying away from it then by saying this can't happen in real life yeah I agree and I think that I think that people don't want to think that the world can be that unforgiving 
I think people, you know, I think that there's a always an instinct to want to believe that there's a hopeful aspect to to the world and to anybody's situation that you can help anybody. You know, there's a there's a real sense in this book that everybody is trying to help Jude. All of his friends are trying to help Jude in their own ways, and you know, and sometimes they bumble and they stumble and they fall in those attempts to to help Jude. But he's somebody who fundamentally cannot be helped in the ways that they think he can be. And I think that that is something that people don't want to consider. And I think that this book um, is, is hitting you in the face with that, 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 that exists. Yeah. And what's that saying? The road, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I'm not sure that I'm using that saying right, but it does kind of, this book does make me think of that saying that. Yeah. There's there's so many good intentions in this book and so many, there's so many very beautiful moments as well. And, you know, beautiful relationships between the characters um particularly between jude and willem jude and harold jude and andy i think it's a really interesting one that actually doesn't come up as often as some of the others do and they all they all want to help i suppose one question is do they all want to help for the right reasons are they actually trying to help jude or does it make them feel better to feel that they're doing something yeah, I completely agree. Because there's several instances in the book where I feel that people, they want to feel kind of like uh, the savior that they've stepped in, you know, especially because these people live extremely glamorous lives. Um, you know, they're surrounded by excess and success all around them. And you get the sense that, you know, Jude is always kind of an outsider to this, despite the fact that he's very smart and successful in his own terms. He always feels like an outsider to the, to, to the rest of their lives. And there is this sense that they want to welcome him in to that kind of confidence. It's so difficult to describe unless you read it. It's, there's this sense that they want to, like, welcome him into that self-assuredness you know but oftentimes sometimes it feels like almost because it would get rid of their own discomfort yes definitely agree with that i think the only character that i don't feel does that necessarily is is actually andy who is the doctor there's some interesting stuff that i was reading about that relationship earlier and the fact that why does jude open up to him so much more than he does anyone else um what you've just said has made me think is that because he's not necessarily pushing for anything from Jude for any other reason than he's essentially just doing his job a little bit more than he should yeah. be doing his job in a lot of ways you know he's essentially on call for Jude anytime Jude needs anything which most doctors are not even if they are a close friend but he's not pushing to make himself feel more comfortable. If anything, I think there's times that he doesn't do things that could make him feel more comfortable. And that's, yeah, maybe a good thing. It was quite shocking the way that she sets up. It's it's like a Hollywood story. You know, he has all these like wonderful friends, all of these circumstances. And then she takes the book in like such a completely different direction. It's so like, intentionally subverted from what you assume is going to happen because of all these people and the way that they like look after Jude it was just like it's so gut-wrenching the way that it unravels really 
she does a great job in that book of making it feel like a dark fairy tale. As you read it, it's very difficult to figure out when exactly in time these events are happening. You get a real sense of place of New York, even though she almost never name drops landmarks or anything like that. But the whole book just feels incredibly New York, but the sense of time is completely removed from the book. She very rarely mentions technology that would date the events of the book. So you get this feeling as you're reading it that this is happening anywhere uh, or is happening in New York, but at any time. Yeah, it is once upon a time, you know, we don't know what that time is, but it's happening. Um, And it, it makes the book have this incredibly timeless quality as you're reading yeah it's interesting because she kind of carefully there's no like internet references technology references mm-hmm. you don't know they contact each, each other but it's never explicit like are they texting are they like mm-hmm. calling is this whatsapp there's no kind of markers it's very smart how did you feel about her writing style I, I hear some people think that her writing is overwrought or they don't enjoy it Okay, I, this is actually my one my complaint about this book I didn't like it it took me a long time to get into it to get used to really? it really I found it to be overly detailed in terms of logistics. Like so the first, especially the first like two hundred pages, I was quite frustrated with it. So the first two hundred pages is quite a lot of sort of scene setting and stuff, and they there's a lot of discussion about two of them are going to move how they're all moving houses, and there's so much detail about like, well, who's going to live here, and we're going to move here, and then we're going to move house, and then who's picking up this box, and he's picking up this box, but then there's the elevator, but there's not the elevator, and I was like, oh my god, I can't stand this like blow by blow description of like this house move. It was really frustrating me. See, I I found that really helpful for scene setting, in terms of understanding that something isn't right here because otherwise it is just starting as this post-college we're all moving in together in these various groupings in these various places but as that goes on as those descriptions go on you realize Jude can't do certain things and they're not talking about what he can't do they're protecting him and they're like dancing around it and I thought for me I found those really or what you found to be overwrought descriptions to be usefully detailed and there's a lot of like subtext within it yeah i would like i wouldn't like to see them removed but i'd like to see them cut down a bit like maybe halved and i know i'm a little bit biased because i know that she's very resistant to editing she has that Mm. kind of reputation which probably informed my thinking like this should be cut out yeah because i don't mind long descriptions i just don't like it i get a bit annoyed when i'm like i'm like i don't care who's sitting in what seat in this car (laughs) like let's just go there and (laughs) not worry about it I love the writing style. I was so taken by the writing style from page one. It was something that I, I found it so intensely evocative, the whole thing. And there's several ruminations in, in this book about friendship that still like have stuck with me. And there's a point in the book when she's talking about why do we allow romantic relationships to be the ones that we see with all the value when friendships, two people have chosen to stick side by side together um, you know, seem to be undervalued. And, and the whole, I, I'm not doing it justice, and I wish I had gotten the quote ready beforehand because it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Yeah, perfection. I, I love the writing style personally, but I know a lot of people find it to be overwrought. Yeah, it was mostly the first, like, 200 pages where I got annoyed. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got used to it or once you get to know them or whatever, it, it's not so irritating. But um, I have to say the theme of friendship in this book, um, like Anna said, actually, I find that to be 
by far the strongest part of this novel. I really, mm. really Absolutely. thought it was fantastic. And I think it's the best depiction of like adult friendship that I've I've ever read in a book. It really, like there are a couple of characters in this book that really reminded me of some of my friends and how we talk to each other. And a lot of my friends, we've been friends for a long, long time. So it's like that kind of, you know, I'm only 30, but we're getting there. <laughs> you know, <laughs> This like when you've known someone for so long, I know exactly what you mean, where you have this kind of friendship with each other, which is like not relationshipy and relationships can kind of come and go. Um, but you have those solid kind of deep friendships, touch points, those linchpin friendships that actually supersede everything else that's going on yeah can we do a spoiler alert on that not not on that but and then talk about something that spins off from that well let's say at this point we'll start talking about spoilers and then then other stuff i'll like stick back okay 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 cool coming from that point of friendship though what are your thoughts on the jude willem romantic relationship because that's another real point of contention amongst readers or at least amongst readers that i've discussed this with i love it i think it's beautiful i love willem i would die for willem i love willem's (laughs) love of jude i love his respect of jude i love jude's willingness to um because you know the whole dynamic there is of course that willem wants to have sex with jude wants to have a sexual relationship and jude wants to have a romantic relationship with willem but he's been so traumatized by sex that he really can't even bring himself to you know, have sex, you know, it's, it's really quite horrific what's been done to him. And the way that gets played out and resolved is just uh, brilliant. <laughs> just completely brilliant. Um, it's so tender. It's so passionate. It's so evocative and real. And it's just, yeah, uh, it's it's beautiful. Yeah, I really liked it. I thought it was really natural, really mm. beautifully done, felt very organic. And the way that it eventuated and the way that they ended up negotiating their relationship, I thought, fit really really well i have no i have literally no criticisms about it actually like what do, what do people say i think it's the fact that it comes from nowhere for some people but i don't think i agree with that i think you can sense it building for a long long no. time through the book yeah yeah definitely. i was the, the whole time i was reading in the early bits with the moment you know i was like now curse <laughs> <laughs> i think as well though it's just it's another op- it's a well it's another situation where Jude gets unbearably hurt and it's just but I think it's by the point in the book you know this is quite towards the tail end of the book I think people start to feel weary uh, I didn't I quite liked it as well I was a little bit unsure about it the first time I read it I won't lie I've read this four times I think maybe Five. You've read this book four times. Yeah, it, definitely, <laughs> definitely three. I think four. I think four. That's, that's intense. Yeah, like, yeah, that is intense, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the first time. So, I don't. The longer I think about this, the more I don't know how I did it, but I know that I did. The first time I read it, I read it in twenty-four hours. Um, Jesus. Yeah, first read was just a kind of demolish, absorb, kind of couldn't put it down kind of read. And the second read was then the more detailed kind of, actually, let's go through this and let everything sink in properly. And then I always reread books that I really like. So that's where that's where it's come from. First time, I think I, I remember not being certain about Willem and Jude. But after that, it does just... As you say, particularly the negotiation and mm-hmm. 
the way they come to something that works for them mm-hmm. is just so wonderfully done. You don't see yeah. that enough in in books. It's very much always this is how it should be, and there's yep. very little of working through those really big issues to be something that works for the characters as a couple. And the way it's done here is just amazing. Yeah, and I think mm-hmm. it goes back to that theme of like friendship and companionship being the this like super important theme. So even when it sort of turns into a romantic relationship, it doesn't become like, and now it's like completely different. And that you know, it's, yeah. it's all about how much they love each other. It still manages to keep this kind of like friendship at the forefront, even when it sort of changes in its nature a little bit, I guess. So yeah, I, I really really liked um, that. I actually found the relationship between Willem and Jude to be maybe the saddest part of the whole book it's like you read these horrible things that happened to him when he was a child which is horrific but then when you it's really where you see how his ability to uh, yeah like live with willem love willem is completely broken down that's really the oh my god that's really what i found the hardest it feels so gutting because you just think this is this could have been something so much so different and so much more peaceful for Mm -hmm. you both and that's been destroyed and it's Mm -hmm. that it's that lack of peace i think not saying it could have been better but it's it's hard it's hard for them both but it's just oh it's so good it's so good (laughs) yeah completely brilliant since we're in spoilers we want to talk about the end you know yes Uh, the the accident so I'm 70 pages from the end. When we started recording, we were talking a little bit about this and I was about to ask Sarah, what do you think happens at the end? And then do you want us to tell you if you're right or not? Or do we need to mute and turn our cameras off so you can't see our reactions? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. You can tell me. So Willem side, Jude's in this long mourning period. You guys, I, what the fuck? What could possibly? Like, I couldn't believe it when you were like, oh, that's not the end. I was like, are you kidding me? What no. <laughs> could possibly be? Like... I mean, I, I literally have no idea because I can't think of anything worse that's going to happen. Well, mm. I assume, I, like, is what is Harold and Julia going to die and then everyone fucking dies and it's just Jude left by himself? Like, what, what's going to happen? Not that. No, no. Oh my <laughs> <God>. <laughs> it's not what? that. It's what? not that. Chris, do you want to tell her? Oh, I don't want to spoil, spoil. No, you, you. can tell me. Okay. Jude ends up killing himself, oh, and God. we learn about it because Harold get it's a a letter. I think is it a letter that Harold's written to Jude, or is it a letter Jude Harold has gotten from Jude? But somehow it's a letter from Harold, I think. And we learn that Jude has killed himself, and then but prior to that, Jude goes on like a rampage, suing everyone that was involved in this. Yeah, that's what I'm up to at the moment. He's like, obliterate them. He's like, vicious. Like, you see a side to Jude that's extremely dark and, you know, this kind of rage and then kills himself. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) But it's, it's, like I said, it's a a book that's unflinching. It's a book that doesn't allow you to have, it's it's a book that is about the fact that you cannot fix everybody and Mm -hmm. it's, it's forcing you to look at it. I think that's one of the things that, you know, one of the big criticisms that people have about this book is that, and there's a Gawker piece about this, that I think it's called the sad little piggy or something, that she's created a character who is good and pure and innocent and heaped all the world's problems so that we can have a cathartic cry about him. And I just disagree. You know, the book is saying something about power. It's saying something about sexual trauma. It's saying something about sexual abuse. 
And, you know, is it melodramatic? You know, is this an extreme example? Of course it's an extreme example. She's writing about extremes here. But that doesn't mean that it's not saying something and it's forcing you to look at something um, that you we would otherwise be be turning away from. But we look because we're slowly introduced to these beautiful people who have kindness and compassion. And at every turn of the book, we hope to see that redeem Jude. But you cannot, you know, that's what the book is saying. You cannot redeem. And, you know, the book is, she, it's about power, you know. And if you read um, The People in the Trees, which is her debut novel, I feel like those books are two sides of a coin, you know, because you see the sexual power abuse in that book, The People in the Trees, from the perspective of the rapist and a colonizer. And it's quite gutting. And I, I think she's, I think those two books were her thesis on, on these dynamics. Um, and, and they're really quite interesting to read together. So I, I just completely disagree that, with the sad little piggy opinion on this book. Definitely. I completely, completely agree. But also, I think with Jude's death is I really feel the appropriate ending for the book in that I think if that isn't what happened, I don't think that would be honest to who Jude is as a character in that I don't think Jude would just carry on at this point. I think because I know some people have asked, well, why why would this be the point that he does that when there's been so many opportunities or so many awful, awful things that have happened to him? Why why would this be the tipping point? But I think if you feel that, then you might not have been reading closely enough. Yeah. I think it makes total sense. Yeah. Without Willem. Yeah. Yeah. My God. And it's not just without Willem, but I mean, like... Um... JB was always the friend who was the most selfish, you know, Mm -hmm. he was the friend that was the most callous, um, you know, not that he didn't have his bright spots, you know, I'm trying to say, but, you know, he's the one that's left. And I don't think, you know, I think, I think Jude had always kept himself alive for the sake of his friends. And I think that once the most compassionate people in the group had left, I don't, I don't think he saw a life for himself after that. Completely agree. Oh boy, this is a this is a happy episode. Oh. Well, I mean, you know, this can't be like this. It's a little life, you know. The thing is, I always have to remind myself. I'm like, they're not real. They're made up in her imagination. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should maybe we should end on something a bit brighter. Maybe about like bright is not the right thing, not the right word. But I'm just trying to think like what are the kind of the more joyful. There's a lot there because there is joy in this book. There is joy in this book. And I think the thing about this book is that were they able to save Jude? No. no. Okay. But the beauty of this book is that he's surrounded by people who are kind and compassionate and do their best anyway. And it was worth doing their best anyway, even if they weren't successful. It was worth being there. It was worth the memories they made with Jude. And it, you know, Jude also he finds success as being this incredible lawyer, you know. Mm. He finds a side to himself um through his education that, you know, I don't think he knew existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if they weren't able to save him. So, you know, that is what it is. But it's a, it's a kind, compassionate book in the end, I think. It is, yeah, it's a very, very, very intense book. But it's an incredible, it's an incredible look at life. Uh, and uh, life uh, across a long time frame. And 
how uh, yeah that's what i would say is it's like the, the look, looking at our life as an adult and what is meaningful and what is not meaningful and what's and what will stay with you um mm-hmm. and what is important i think it's that's what i would take away from it mm. i think if we're gonna try to be <laughs> chipper about it <laughs> yeah chip is not maybe the right word but um if we're looking at it holistically perhaps but i agree there's so much in this that shows you the good in people as well as the really overt bad in people there is so much that shows you how to be almost a kind of how-to of being a good friend and being there for the people that you love and in their you know sort of darkest moments that we just don't get very much in fiction and the reality of what this is i think in real life you go through events with like in fiction often it's like oh this one thing happened and then we recovered mm-hmm. from it but this is like the whole yeah. life it's like this happened and then a few years later something else happened and we got through that and then it was something else but this time it was this person yeah. and you know there's a line from the history boys that 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 makes me think of which is one of my favorite plays um it's also a good film if you've not seen it which is they're talking about history as a thing and one of the characters goes well, history is just one fucking thing after another, isn't it? And yeah. <laughs> it's so true when it comes to this book. It really is just, it's just one thing after another. But that is actually how life is. There's no getting away from that. Totally. Yep. Chris and Sarah, you hit on all of my questions without me even having to ask them, which is great. Awesome. So okay, awesome. It's fantastic. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about A Little Life. If you have read it, we would love to hear your take on it, especially about any of the issues that we discussed. Um, and yeah, just to reiterate, if you're thinking about reading this book, uh, we think it's great, but do look up content warnings for it. Yes, and you can get in touch with us in all the usual ways. Our, all our handles and that kind of thing are in the show notes, as are all the books we talked about. Uh, but thank you for listening, and we will talk at you in two weeks. 